The book of 3 John was likely written by the Apostle John to the member of a local church, Gaius, between 85 and 95 AD. John writes to commend Gaius for his practical ministry efforts and to warn against the behavior of a stubborn church member, Diotrephes. Gaius had taken in traveling missionaries and had shown them great support and hospitality, living in line with the self-sacrificial example of Jesus. John celebrates his desire to take care of these missionaries who are fellow workers on behalf of the gospel of Christ. Contrasting Gaius's humble example is Diotrephes, who consistently rejects the authority of leaders like John and turns away genuine workers of the gospel. John's message is simple. Imitate good, not evil. As an extension of the message from his earlier letter, John teaches us to follow through our faith with action, specifically love and obedience to the teachings of Jesus. Love is the outward sign of God's true transformation of the heart, and love is the vehicle God uses to build up and encourage the church for His ministry of grace on earth. It had been a busy day doing what God had called us to do, communicating, spending time with the believers and sharing with those who are yet to believe. At the end of the day, we came together. We came together as a community to reflect on the day, to worship, to spend some time in fellowship over a meal. But today was a little bit special. Today was a little bit different to normal we got the special privilege to hang out with some travellers, some fellow believers who had literally been on a journey, had been out on the high roads and been out into the other communities, and we got to hear what they had seen. We also got to share our lives with these guys, and we got to share God's truth, and these people had been doing it. These pastors had been travelling, and they got to pause and do dinner with us. We sat down around the table We started to break bread and the food was shared amongst us and the conversation started to flow. At first it was what we had done in our day. Those God moments that had appeared in front of us that we took those opportunities that God had given us and went with it. The conversation soon turned to our travellers. It soon turned to ask them, what can you tell us about our churches? What can you tell us about those believers that we've imparted our lives and our hearts to? How are they going? How is God's word being spread? Are they still following you? Are they still true believers? Well, as you can imagine, the conversation went well past dinner time. The meal was soon finished and cleared, but we were still talking. We were still hearing the stories about those guys and those churches and those families that we had shared God's word with. You could see John's face light up as they started to talk about one of the communities, one of the places they had been. He'd spent a lot of time there and he was fully engaged as soon as you heard the names roll off the tongues of the travellers. You could see the son of thunder and deep thought and deep listening as he heard about his mate Gaius, a man that he had parted God's truth to that he actually saw his own, as his own son. 
our travelling friends started to talk about the community and talking about some of the people that Gaius was hanging out with. And you could see John's face. You could almost hear his heart breaking as you heard about this teacher that was there that was sharing false truths. We heard about this teacher who was forgetting the basics of what we were called to do. John's demeanour started to change. He started to wiggle. He became more and more unsettled as the conversation carried on. Had we been in a different century, you could imagine that he'd want to get there instantly to sort it out. But that's a little bit hard being in ancient Near East in the first century. He was in Ephesus doing what God had called him to do. And he couldn't go to this church and solve the problem. The conversation carried on for a little bit longer as they talked about some other communities and some other groups of believers. But you could see that John wasn't quite in the conversation anymore. His head and his heart were stuck with this family that he had imparted life to. Maybe he was trying to work out how he could impart some wisdom to them. Maybe he could, was trying to work out a way that he could solve the problems that were happening. Not long after that, John stood up. He departed the group, said his farewells and left for the evening, mumbling something about that he needed to go talk to his teacher. The next morning, he had almost a pep in his step. His face and his demeanour has changed, and after a conversation with God, he had worked out how he was going to address this church, this community and congregation, and how he was going to impart some wisdom to remind them about their God, to remind them about our God. Out of his coat appeared a small scroll or a you might say, a one piece of paper. And he said, I'm going to send this. This is my heart on a piece of paper. This is how I can encourage them to continue on. So this little one sheet of paper made its way to this faith community. And here is our little privileged glimpse at a moment, a special postcard as such of what John wanted to send to his friends. What we're looking at today in 3 John has been described as a personal brief note from one Christian who is faithfully following God to another Christian who is faithfully following God. Not often in scripture do we get to see these little precious notes that are passed from one to the other. And this is what it says. From the church leader, to my dear friend Gaius, I love you because we follow the truth. My dear friend, I pray that all goes well for you. I hope that you are strong in body, as I know that you are in spirit. It makes me very happy when the Lord's followers come by and speak of how openly you obey the truth. Nothing brings me greater happiness than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Dear friend, you've always been faithful in helping other followers of the Lord, even the ones you didn't know before. They have told the church about your love. They said that you were good enough to welcome them and send them on their mission in a way that God's servants truly deserve. When they left to tell others about the Lord, they decided 
they decided not to accept any help from anyone who wasn't a follower. We must support people like these so they can take part in doing what they're doing and spreading the truth. I write to the church. But Diotrephes likes to be the number one leader. And he won't pay any attention to us. So if I come, I will remind him of how he has been attacking us with gossip. Not only has he been doing this, but he refuses to welcome any of the Lord's followers who come by. When the other church members want to welcome them, he puts them out of the church. My dear friend, don't copy the evil deeds of the others. Follow the example of those who do kind deeds. They are God's children. Those who always are doing evil have never seen God. God speaks, everyone speaks so well of Demetrius. And so does the true message that he teaches. I also speak well of him. You know what I say is true. I have so much more to say to you, but I don't want to write it with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon. Then we can talk in person. I pray that God will bless you with peace. Your friends send their greetings. Please give a personal greeting to each one of our friends. So we can see that the church was facing some challenges here. (laughs) And they weren't actually the only church in that time that were facing the same challenges. There was not a unique challenge to them in that time and age, and actually it's not a unique challenge to any church. And some of what was in here is also a challenge to the church today. It is a challenge for us at times to remain faithful to what God has called us to do. The letter that John wrote focuses on three people and focuses them on three very different and unique ways. And so we're just going to have a little look at these three guys that it focuses on. First is John's dear friend, Gaius. Um. You can obviously see in the readings that there was some depth of relationship here. This wasn't just a passing person that John knew briefly. This was someone that he had spent a lot of time with, that he had shared his life and his heart with. It's pretty evident when you read the first sentence alone that you can see that John loves this guy, that John cares so deeply for him. And I kind of wonder if John was the one who was privileged enough to bring this guy to the faith. There is, if there's that little link. Scholars don't tell you, but I just kind of think that if you've toned a letter that way, whether there's that connection there, that John is the one who brought this guy to understand the truth. I can almost imagine John sitting at a desk miles away going, how am I going to start this letter? And then going, actually, I don't need to worry. Because the words just started pouring out of him of going, if I was sitting across the table from this is what I'd want to say. Gaius is praised for being focused on God. He is praised for following the same truth that John has taught him to follow. He has not been swayed from the path that was laid before him when he came to know Jesus through the teachings of John. In a sense, Gaius wasn't, was in a sense, John was Gaius's spiritual dad. While he didn't have a role in raising this man and talking him to, teaching him to walk with two legs, he did teach him how to walk in the faith. 
And I sense the responsibility that John feels here to make sure that he isn't being swayed by anyone who is not telling him truth. That John feels dedicated to this. And it wasn't like John could pick up his phone and press FaceTime or WhatsApp and give him a chat and a perk every day to get the right path. John had to trust that Gaius remembered the words and remembered the time that they had spent together. Now, John wasn't alone in the imagery that he used about being kind of children and fathers. This is actually imagery that's been used by a few disciples and a few apostles throughout the time. So this wasn't an unusual image to be seen as family, as a spiritual family. And in 1 Corinthians, we find that Paul imparts that imagery of being family. So in 1 Corinthians 4, 14 to 16, we see a similar image. It says, I am writing this not to shame you, but to warn you, my dear children. Even if you had 10,000 guardians in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For in Christ I have become your father through the gospel. Therefore I urge you to imitate me. For this reason I have sent you Timothy, my son in whom I love, who is faithful in the Lord. He will remind you with my way of life in Jesus Christ, which agrees with what I teach everywhere. Here Paul is saying, this is Timothy, my son. Now if I know my genealogy right, Timothy wasn't his biological son. But it was someone who he had adopted under God's law and went, this is a guy I'm going to teach and impart all my wisdom to. So this is a familiar thing that these disciples and apostles moved into places. They converted one and then God put his divine hand on a relationship and they became really close and became family and spread the gospel that way. Sorry, just lost my place. So, one of the other things that we learned from Gaius was to act faithfully. So he's focused on God and then when you focus on God, the pure outworking of what you're focusing on is how you act. And so he continued to act faithfully in the way that he had been taught. There is this beautiful line, I have no greater joy than this to hear that my children are now walking in truth. Now, one of these cool things that happens when you've been in ministry for a little while or you've been journeying in faith for a little while is that you have these people that come along your path. Now, some of them are people who have imparted into your own life and have strengthened your faith, or maybe even had the privilege of showing you the way to the Father. And others are the ones that you've got to journey with and got to show them the way to the Father or strengthen their relationship in life. When I was thinking about this, there were two people that instantly came to mind for me. One of them used to sit in these seats here. There was a lovely lady by the name of Naomi. Now, I know her from my home church, my church that I grew up in in Otrahonga. She was the faithful Sunday school teacher who turned up week after week to serve in children's church. Now, any children's pastor will say that those person, people need to be, like, cloned, if that's biblical. <laughs> but she turned up week after week to faithfully serve in children's church. She was my children's church leader for several years. 
and I remember coming here after I had kind of left high school and she, they had moved to Hamilton to retire. And she saw me and she said, I still pray for you. So here was this woman who had faithfully served and done what God had called her to do by teaching a group of children's church kids. And one of them had become a pastor. Then there's this other story. There's this guy. Now, I was privileged enough to be his youth pastor. I was privileged enough to impart into his life for five years. He is now faithfully serving God in ministry. For those of us who journeyed in ministry or journeyed in the Christian journey for a while, there are these people that you will instantly think of going, oh, that's my Naomi. That's that person who imparted God to me. Naomi didn't lead me to the Lord. I was one of those ones who always knew that God was there and that God loved her. But Naomi definitely helped deepen who I was in God. And then you have those other ones who you know have become further and deeper in Christ because you were given a chance to speak into their lives. You were given a chance by God to impart some godly wisdom. And that's because you do act and you act faithfully in what God put it in front of you. Another thing that Gaius was known for was his hospitality. He was the one who would open his door in a time of need and go, welcome, come in, let me look after you. Let me treasure you, let me care for you. Now, in those days, those inns, most days today, if you have travelling pastors, they end up in a hotel. But in those days, the inns weren't the best places to stay. You might have been a bit like a Jesus in the back in the stable. Or you might have not even managed to get a space in the inn. So the churches actually relied, the travelling pastors relied on these people in their congregations to open up their doors and go, come in, stay, spend some time with us. And so Gaius was known in this community to be the one who would open his doors, who would care for the people, who would love the itinerant ministers and do what they needed and make sure that they were being looked after and sustained and cared for and in a better place than they were when they arrived. Now, when I was looking at hospitality, because sometimes when we think of hospitality, we purely think of come for a meal. That is kind of, when we talk about hospitality, we go, okay, cool, that's just giving someone a meal. There was this beautiful description of hospitality by a lady, Mrs. Butterfield, I can't remember her first name, and it said that hospitality is simply meeting a stranger and embracing that stranger as a neighbour. And then meeting a neighbour and by God's power, embracing that neighbour as someone who will become part of the family of God. So whether that is a meal or whether that's just a conversation, or whether that's a, oh, you need a help to move a trailer load of dirt, I can do that. Or whether that's just a smile. It's caring for people in the hope that one day they will walk down the path and become part of the family of God. Then we move to the second character in our passage. 
Now, he is painted in a fairly bad light. Diotrephes didn't come out as a very loving, caring leader in this picture, in this story. He kind of came out as the one that you don't want to do anything with. But the thing is that he's not being pulled up in doing massive stuff. It's not over-the-top stuff. It's not big sin. It's not like he's been caught in murder. It's just little things that he's let take over. So the first thing he's been pulled up on is that he loves to be first. Now, it's kind of human nature to want to go first. I'm sure that a lot of us, if we were to be truthfully honest, would love to be the ones that came first. We'd like to be the ones that won the race or came first in the competition or be on the top of the list. Actually, it is part of who we are, that desire and that competition and that drive to succeed. But the thing is, with Geotrophies, he was obsessed with becoming first at the, at the detriment of everybody else. Because in reality, when you go to a church lunch and you're told to go up and get lunch, someone has to go first. Otherwise, everyone's just going to be sitting there staring at the food as it goes mouldy. <laughs> or cold, yeah. Like someone actually has to go first. But he was obsessed with putting himself first. Now, there is a place and a time where I think that we have to put ourselves first personally. I think there comes a place where we have to pause for a moment and go, is this what I need to be doing? In that sense of putting yourself first. That self-care, that self-looking after yourself, going, can I keep giving or do I need to take a moment and reflect and pause to make sure that I still have something in the tank for the next person? There is a moment where we all are called to pause and check with ourselves before we keep giving out. But this guy was obsessed with going first. He had to be first. He had to be at the top of the list. And he didn't really care about much others. The other thing that he was pulled up on for is that he wasn't listening. He wasn't remembering the words that he was taught. He was not remembering the truth that had imparted to him. He was forgetting the disciples' teachings. He was forgetting that in putting himself first, he he was not walking the journey of faith with God. He was rejecting the teaching that had brought him to the faith to start with. He was forgetting the basics. He wasn't listening, willing to listen to anyone else and said that his words were way more important and way more valuable than anyone else. We read that this is a leader who wasn't listening to the disciples and he was gossiping about them so badly that it was starting to ruin their reputation. And then he wasn't practicing hospitality. He wasn't caring for those who came through the, into the town. He wasn't looking after the teachers that were coming to visit. He wasn't opening his door and welcoming people. He wasn't even sitting to pause and chat with them. It possibly knew, possibly, he realised that if he was going to sit and pause, he was going to get told off. 
but he didn't want to take a moment to listen to these traveling teachers. He didn't want to listen because he knew that what he was teaching and sharing was fueled by his own desires and fueled by the desire that he wanted to be to be first. And then we have this final character who's only like one little glimmer and gets one short reference in Scripture. And there's queries by the scholars whether or not he was the actual one who carried the letter to the church. But it's a pretty good one. It's a pretty good letter to be known for. And if I was only be known by one sentence, this is a sentence I would pretty, be pretty happy with. That everyone speaks well of him and the message that he teaches is truth. And then John finishes well with saying, I speak well of him so. So you know that what I say to you is true. The one thing he lives by. His one truth is he's known to speak truth. How cool is that for your one line is that you're a good testament because you're known to speak the truth. That you're known to speak goodness and love. That you're known to speak God. It's a pretty good line in history. If I was to be left and knowing that my one thing that I was known by is that I was known to share who God is, that my life reflected who God was, is a pretty good place to be. So, 2,000 years later, here we are looking at this little postcard, this little note that John wrote to his church community, to his group of people that he had spent life with. What is God wanting us to do out of this? What is God wanting to impart in us that we can walk out of these doors with and go, okay, I can do this? That we can walk out of our homes with and go, this is a doable thing. I think if it was me and the one thing I want to walk out of here was that God wants us always be walking in his truth. That God is asking us to continue to spend time with him, to continue to get to know him, to continue to develop those relationships and to be walking in truth and taking time to reflect on those who God brings across our path. Have you got a Tim character walking along the journey that you could impart life with? Is there someone who God has placed beside you, whether they're on the journey of faith or they're not yet on that journey, that God is saying, hey, I want you to spend some time with these people. I want you to spend some time with this person and show them who I am. I would love for you to reflect on who may be your Naomi. Naomi Naomi is just one of the many people that I have, that have reflected God to me. Can I encourage you to contact that person if they're still living and drop them a note and go, hey, I just really want to say thank you for being willing to listen to God and sharing your life with me. How encouraging would it be to that person when they open that text or that email or answer that phone of here is someone that I've done life with and they're thanking me for imparting in their spiritual journey. 
just as a little encouragement for the person who has listened to God. Let's hold the final one of the words that John wrote. Dear friend, do not copy the deeds, evil deeds of the others and follow the examples of those who do kind deeds. These are God's children and those who are doing evil have never seen God. So let us take the chance to continue to do good. Continue to love those who God places in front of us. Continue to care for those who God places with in front of us. Now that might be opening your doors and welcoming people to come to stay for a night, for a couple of nights or for a season. I grew up in a home where we quite regularly had people coming to stay. That that was just part of our reality, that there were people there that my parents opened the doors to who came to stay. Some of them didn't have the most amazing house skills. Um, my mum could tell you the stories of the plastic porridge bowl that got melted to the element of the stove from someone who was heating their porridge in a plastic bowl. Um, sometimes opening your doors and having hospitality and showing love to other people comes with a cost. But at the same time, you get to see God and you get to outwork the love that God has given you to other people. And you get to care.